Lord, we love you. We do love you. Lord, we set ourselves before you tonight asking that you'd release the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That the word of the Lord would come forth from the scriptures and it would pierce. Let it come to bear upon us. We need clarity. We need clarity, God. I pray you give us vision. That our eyes would become clear. Flood our eyes with light. God, I pray that we would have insight into the age to come and your plan concerning Israel. I'm asking you would loose upon us revelation. Let the word of the Lord run swiftly. Let it be glorified in the Holy Spirit. We are at your disposal. We are at your disposal. Send lightnings from heaven across our minds. Let it hit our soul, into our spirits. Let us see what the most practical thing is we can do in this life. Give us a vision of that age which is to come. Good Lord, we love you, Jesus. Oh, we, we love you, Father. We love you, Holy Spirit. Good. Release your presence, we ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, I'm on part two. Uh, we started just a two-part little uh, message from last week. So um, if you weren't here last week, it'll help you to get, if, uh, if this interests you tonight, it'll help you to get the, the CD. And you can get all of our CDs. You can just go grab them. They're out there in the cafe after the service. It takes about 20 minutes. And uh, we just give them away. You can have them. And, uh, or you can get on our, our podcast online and uh, subscribe in iTunes. And it's free. You just have it. And if you want to give a donation in the lobby, you can. If, if you don't have it, it's fine. No big deal. Nobody's there, you know, punching tickets, making sure you gave or something. You just take what you need. But uh, if, uh, if tonight interests you, I'd encourage you to get last week's. And then put them together because it's part one, part two, the same, same ideas. So uh, last week we started in Isaiah 2. And we talked about how the law will go forth from Zion. And the Lord himself is going to teach. He's going to proclaim the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And uh, I got about two-thirds of the way into the message. And everybody looked like, you know, I was up here, you know, <laughs> talking about flying cows and stuff. It was an interesting little, little time. But we just stayed in the scriptures, and so it's true. And so I think, you know, the Lord wants to get our, our vision lifted so that we have a picture of the age to come. One of the things that leaves us without vision in this life is when we don't have a picture of what's coming in the next age. And most uh, believers kind of have this picture that we're just going to be sort of floating around in the clouds, sort of in heaven somehow, somewhere, without any biblical understanding, with no theology uh, on the verses that describe the next age. And uh, Ephesians 2, the, the great salvation chapter, great salvation chapter, explains to us that there are ages to come. More than just one age, but there are ages to come. And those ages are set apart that God might show us the riches of his mercy and love. And God has set this thing up that for Time and time and time, for ages, he wants to show us the riches of his mercy. And so there's tons of verses. Uh, I mean, literally, I've got, I looked through my notes, and I have, and it's not even an exhaustive list, but I've got about 10 pages of scriptures that discuss at, in detail the age to come. And it's not exhaustive any, by any stretch of the imagination. And so uh, we live... Uh, with, we, we live, I think, uh, 
out of tune. That's a good way to say it. Out of tune with uh, the plan of heaven, with heaven's rhythm, with heaven's melody. We live out of tune when we don't have a picture of where this thing is going. We believe we're a part of a kingdom, but we don't know what the kingdom even looks like, and we don't know what uh, God's plan and his agenda is for his kingdom. And when we don't know that, we live out of tune with his movings and, and his, his uh, actions in the earth now, because he's right now setting things up. This is what he's doing. He's setting things up for the next age. It's not like he gets to the end of this age, presses the delete button, and oh, now we're starting from point one. It, there's a massive continuity between this age and the next one. And so right now, our lives are, are uh, there's a unique interplay between the way we're living our lives right now and the next age. And we've got to know that because otherwise we will live our lives right now without vision. We'll live visionless. And, uh, and, and, and we end up, when we do that, we end up living, you know, just for today without focus. And, and the Bible talks about when you, people live without vision, they, they perish. They cast off restraint. But if there's a picture of the age to come, we'll live with a focus and a tune with, with heaven's agenda. And that's where we need to be. And so last week we talked a little bit about that. And we explained in, in Isaiah chapter 2, we, we talked about verse 1 through 4. I said I was going to talk about verse 5, and I will in a minute. But uh, we talked about verse 1 through 4, where this thing is going a little bit. And I want to give you a breakdown because there is a... Um, there is a narrative that's happening between Isaiah 2, 3, and 4. Okay, we're going to land in 4. But the narrative goes like this. Isaiah 2, 1 through 5, he says, okay, this is where this is going. My son is going to proclaim the word of the Lord from Mount Zion. The law will go forth, and he will teach us his ways. That's what we get in verses 1 through 5. And then what happens is, uh, chapter 2, verse 6 um, through the end of the chapter there, 20, through 22. Chapter 2, 6, Isaiah 2, 6, through uh, Isaiah 2, 22, he goes, now, before my son proclaims the word of the Lord from Zion, there's something coming on the earth. It's called the day of the Lord. And he describes the judgment events that are going to hit the planet in, in, I mean, intense measure. And it says it's coming upon everything that's lifted up, everything that's high, everything that's haughty. And the Lord is going to bring low all of these things across the face of the earth. And the Lord is going to bring dramatic destruction with the day of the Lord events. And that happens at the end of this age. Chapter 3 in the narrative, he goes, now here's what Israel's going to look like that's going to cause the Lord to bring about this, these massive judgment events. And he explains Israel's lack of desire for God and their, their uh, prideful heart and their arrogance. And the Lord says, I'm going to take all their trinkets, all of their niceties, and I'm going to destroy them. He goes, I'm going to leave them on the ground. I will leave Israel on the ground in mourning and lamenting. And, he's, and he describes the state of Israel at the end of the age through chapter 3. And it is, it's fearsome, beloved. It's, it's a tough time. And in chapter 4, verse 1, and I think chapter 4, verse 1 should have been with chapter 3. If you'll look at it, you'll see it in context. But 4.1, the state of Israel is so bad, and, and, and this may actually be a literal thing that happens, but this is the state of it, that seven women will cling to one man and say, just let us be called by your name. We don't even have to be your wife. 
Let us be called by your name so our shame can be taken away. The state of affairs in Israel before Jesus returns will be so dramatic that seven women will be asking to be called by the name of one man. It's talking about a society that is completely destroyed, completely overturned, And that's the picture we get at the end of chapter 3 of Isaiah because he says, I will leave them in lamenting and mourning. And so it's, it's a, what is coming to Israel, beloved, at the end of the age is something that you and I have almost no picture of. There is a, a big Zionist movement right now that is trying to gather all the Jews back to Jerusalem and it has almost no picture of this that there is still a coming Holocaust. If you want to look at it, look at Ezekiel 22. It describes the Lord regathering Israel at the end of the age. And he gathers them into Jerusalem and he, he smelts them in the furnace of affliction. In Ezekiel 22. In Zechariah 13, round down about verse 9 and 10. He describes that smelting. He says, I'm going to take them into the fire. He goes, and one third... Two-thirds will be cut off, and the one-third will make it through the fire. And that one-third will be righteous. And so the Lord is giving us this picture through chapter 2, 3, and 4 of what's going to happen with Israel at the end of the age. It's important that we understand what's coming on the earth. It's important that we understand what's going to happen to this nation that God so deeply loves. Let me tell you something. I was talking to a friend of mine, and I said, I said, hey, I heard a your football coach of you guys' football team is a Christian. I said, that sounds like it's a good thing for you. And he goes, no, I don't think that's such a good thing. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, if he really is in covenant with the Lord, the Lord's going to use whatever means necessary to get all the impurities out of his heart. He goes, we might have a losing season as a result. I said, I never thought of it that way. He said, that's right. He goes, it's not such a good thing. I went, right. But see, the, the truth is this. When you really are in covenant with God... God will stop at nothing to get purity from you. He'll stop at nothing to remove every other interest of your heart. And we don't comprehend a a nation that God has chosen from before the foundation of the earth who has stiffened their necks so hard that they are mostly socially uh, Jewish, but they are religiously atheistic. We don't comprehend what that is. And the necessity of pressings that God has to bring on this nation in order for them to turn with their whole heart to God. He's going to bring them into the furnace, beloved. And they will be purified. And so what we get in chapter 4, verse 2, is Israel pressed through the furnace completely, I mean, brought to to utter destitution. The state of affairs in society is so bad that seven women are just saying, call, let us be called by your name. We don't have to be married to you. Do something to remove the shame of who we are. That's, that's pathetic. I mean, how bad that is. And then in verse two, he says, and in that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. In the day when Israel is at its absolute worst possible place it could be, the spirit of revelation is going to come upon them. 
And the, the term branch of the Lord, that is a messianic title, it's talking about the Messiah. When, when they're at their worst possible place, the spirit of revelation is going to come upon them, and the branch of the Lord, Jesus, the Messiah, will become beautiful and glorious before their eyes. It's talking about the mass conversion of a completely stiff-necked, uh, stiff-necked uh, nation. Stiff-necked. <laughs> Just laugh. Stiff-necked nation. And uh, he's talking about the break-in of understanding that's going to come upon them. Whereas, w- literally, a year prior, they were in uh, rebellion and hatred towards God, socially Jewish, but, but religiously atheistic. And now, Jesus, Messiah, will become beautiful before their eyes. Can you imagine the transformation, the turnaround that's going to happen? Can you imagine the power of God that will be released, the revelatory anointing that's going to hit the entire nation? Can you imagine how significant that's going to be where they go from hating this Jewish carpenter from Nazareth to falling in love with him and saying he's the most beautiful one, he's the most glorious one, and they're going to be enamored with him and allured by him and intoxicated with him, and they are going to give themselves an abandonment to him. Can you imagine the power that's going to be released when the scales fall from their eyes and they see Jesus high and lifted up and glorified in that manner? Beloved, that's coming. But it's not coming until they are brought to their end. Till they're brought to the end of themselves. This is a powerful, powerful reality that we have almost no understanding. And this is what God's doing in the earth. He's setting it up. He is setting the table right now He's setting it up right now. And there's going to be a moment of peace and safety. It will be a false peace and safety. But he's setting it up right now that with one spirit, the nations of the earth will decide that Israel must be wiped from the map. They will fall in line under the leadership of a man that's going to be possessed by Satan. Satan's agenda will be to thwart God's agenda. God's agenda is to set his king on his holy hill in Zion. Satan's agenda is to set himself on God's holy hill in Zion. And the nations of the earth will gather against Jerusalem. Zechariah 14 verse 1 gives us clarity on that. But the Lord, at, at exactly the right time, the Lord will protect them when they're at their very end. And so this is what we get. In that day... The branch of the Lord becomes beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing. That, that phrase, fruit of the earth, it can go about three different ways in interpretation. I, I choose to believe he's talking about the one that's the branch of the Lord. He is the fruit of the earth. He's a man is the point. It's God's chosen ruler. He's making it clear there's a branch. The reason the terminology branch, it's, it's a human person that God is going to set. That man who is all God and all man, he is the one that's going to be beautiful before the eyes of the, the nation. He's the fruit of the earth. He's the fruit of the people of the earth. He says, and, and for those who are, of Israel who have escaped, he's going to be beautiful before their eyes. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who is recorded among the living. And so we, we can't get past this little point, but there is a group 
that's going to escape. There are going to be a group of Jews who will, quote-unquote, escape the end-time judgment scenario. Now, it's not just Jews that are going to make it through. There's going to be actually people from all the nations that are going to make it through. Zechariah 14 gives us clarity that there's many, many, many nations that will make it through. But there'll be this group of Jews that will make it through the end-time scenario, the judgment events, will make it through the, the reign of terror by the hands of Antichrist, and this group that escapes... They're going to fall in love. They're going to fall in love with Jesus. Can you imagine the drama as God's chosen people whom have hardened their heart for thousands of years against him and against his king when they turn with one voice in revelation of the God-man, they turn and they fall in love. It is Isaiah 62. He goes, you shall no longer be called forsaken because you're going to be called married. You're going to be called sought after. What's he talking about? He's talking about Israel. The people of that place will no longer be desolate and forsaken. They're going to be married to who? To the God-man. This one that's beautiful and glorious. Their eyes... Beloved, Isaiah thirty-three seventeen says, their eyes will see the king in his beauty and it is going to shock them to the core. The stiff-necked people who have hardened themselves against God, they're going to fall in love. It's powerful. So in verse 4, let's look at this. Let's pick up the narrative and we'll move through this. I want you to see where this thing is going. My, my desire tonight is to give you plenty to study. I hope to, I hope to raise a bunch of questions and answer almost none of them. I'm here for you. I want to give you plenty to study. Isaiah 4. Look at verse 4. Now, after they fall in love, after all those who are left in Jerusalem, after they fall in love, they say, see Jesus as beautiful and glorious... Then he goes and makes this interesting statement. He says, when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. Huh. So, let's get, let's get to the narrative. They see Jesus. They fall in love with Jesus. They, remove, they get moved from their, their stiff-necked atheism to wholehearted abandonment. And the Lord, what, what ends up happening is, He ends up setting a signal, a sign. And there's about, there's about six or eight verses that explain this. That the Lord sets a sign, some sort of a standard, a flag of some sort. And he gets the nations to gather in all the Jews from all over the earth that are left. And then the Lord has a convocation with these Jews. And what he does, what Jesus does, is he releases upon them something called the spirit of burning. And and in this, the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning, in this, it purges them completely from all their filth and all their sin, all their, their stiff-necked atheism, 
And he doesn't just purge the people, he purges the land. He cleanses the land. Joel 3 explains that he's going to cleanse the land of Israel from its blood guilt. He's going to cleanse Jerusalem from its blood guilt. Right there down at the end of the chapter, uh, end of the chapter of Joel 3, about 18 through 22. Now, let me ask you something. What would be the most significant murder that happened in Jerusalem that was an unjust murder? The murder of Messiah. The Lord Jesus will stand before the Jews and release fire upon them, spiritual fire. It will possess them with the spirit of burning and he will release fire on the land and it's going to cleanse the land of every unjust murder but the principal one will be the blood guilt that's been hanging over Israel because they murdered the righteous one without a cause. And in that day, Jerusalem shall be called the city of the Lord. There'll be fame. Zechariah 8 tells us that Jerusalem will be famed throughout the earth as, as being called the city of the Lord. And it tells us in Zechariah 8 why. The reason why is because the Lord himself will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. All over the globe, they'll say, God is living in that city. Now think about that. The very city that slaughtered and rejected Jesus will be purged of the unjust murder of God in the flesh, of himself. That city will be purged of the blood of that, and he will rule from that place. So it's powerful. Now the coolest thing, I think, is what happens after he, or I'm getting ahead of myself. Think about this. This is better than salvation. It's better than salvation. Here's why. You and I want to be on fire for the Lord. That's our good Western terminology. Just want to be on fire for God. These guys get possessed with the spirit of burning. That's not just a little tongue and interpretation every now and then, I'll tell you. They get possessed with the spirit of burning. And multiple times in the scripture it says, they will be holy forever. It says right there, they will be holy. The term is really holiness. They will be holiness. Zechariah 14 describes them as holiness unto the Lord. What's he talking about? He's going to make them all into a community of priests. The entire nation will be a nation of priests. A holy nation, a peculiar people, a royal priesthood. Does that sound familiar at all? It's the promise that God made to them in Exodus. You got to write the notes. You got to take these down because if you don't, you're going to just think I'm crazy, but you got to look at it. Exodus 19, the Lord says, I will make you a holy nation, a royal priesthood, my own special people. In Exodus 19, he says, cleanse yourself because I'm going to come down on the mountain in fire. And what happens? God comes down in fire 
this trumpet blast is going. There's thunder and lightning that's from a, a, another origin. It's not, it's not natural thunder and lightning. It's supernatural thunder and lightning. They wake up to explosions of thunder from supernatural origin and a lightning show that is the throne room of God descending on the mountain. That's what the 2.2 million Israelites wake up to looking at Sinai. And a trumpet blast is going louder than all that. And Moses goes walking into the midst of it. And 2.2 million people go, what is that? And they pull out. They pull back. And the sad part of the story is they say, look, Moses. And, oh, uh, we kind of missed this in Exodus 20. God thunders the Ten Commandments. Everybody hears them. They all hear God say the Ten Commandments from the mountain. And then the people say, they go, hey, Moses, that hurt our ears. Let God speak to you and not to us. You go in, we'll stay back. God was trying to give 2.2 million people of this nation that he just brought out of captivity in Egypt. He's trying to give them all access to his presence. He wanted a holy nation, a royal priesthood. This entire nation would be priests unto God. And instead they reject God's offer. They said, let Moses go in, we'll stay back. You tell us what he said, Moses, become a priest for us. So what God's going to do for them, he's going to possess them with the spirit of burning, and he's going to make all of them holy. They will be a holy nation. And then he does this crazy thing. He goes, and right here where you live, I'm going to put on the mountain... So cool. A cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. Does a cloud by day and a fire by night sound at all remotely familiar to anybody? Remember, that was what was on. It was, it was the fire that was on that mountain that came down. That fire ended up being over this tabernacle that, that Moses constructed where they worshipped in the wilderness, Right? And by day, it was a cloud. And by night, it was a fire. Well, we kind of, we kind of get this picture of this little cloud that's just kind of over that thing. You know, just a little sort of little puff, you know, like cotton swab thing hanging out up there. But that cloud was so big that it, it covered them in the middle of the desert so that they weren't getting scorched. It covered an assembly of two million people, beloved, plus. It's not a little cloud. It's a massive cloud. Huge cloud. So they weren't getting burned during the day. And at night it was a fire so they could see. I've never been out in the middle of the Sinai Desert in Arabia at night without a flashlight. But I'm going to guess it's very dark. Right? It would make sense for 2.2 million people to have more than a little puff cloud to be able to see. A little fire. No, that thing was over the entire encampment. Right, so when they when they woke up in the morning, they go, "Whoa, the cloud is gone." They were they didn't want to get sunburnt. You'll die out there, beloved. You can't go like two days just walking around the desert, just getting sunburnt all day. You'll die. They needed to be under the cloud for protection. So the Lord, in the next age, after He releases the spirit of burning on the children of Israel, possesses them with holiness. The whole nation becomes a holy nation, a royal priesthood. God is going to put a cloud over Mount Zion. 
And that cloud covering, it's going to be just like what was offered to them in the wilderness. It's going to be a cloud by day and a fire by night, and it's not going to be just covering one little area. It's going to be a massive cloud. It's going to be like what Ezekiel saw. It's going to be a gigantic, enormous whirlwind of cloud and fire engulfing itself, just like what Ezekiel saw. Now, this is getting cool. This is Jerusalem in the next age. Do you know where this is going? Now, check this out. This is, this is what's interesting to me. That cloud, we go cloud by day, fire by night, but numbers, and I'll just read it to you, numbers 15 and 16. Numbers, I'm sorry, 9. Numbers 9, 15 and 16. It describes the cloud, and I like the NIV version on this. It says that on the day the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it at night. It looked like fire. What am I telling you? I'm telling you that during the day, it looks like a cloud. And during the night, it looks like a fire. But what it really is, is a fiery cloud. (laughs) Whatever that is. It's the Ezekiel 1 whirlwind of fire. By day, it looks like a cloud. And by night, it looks like a fire. That is going to be above Jerusalem in the age to come. That's what Isaiah 4 tells us. Isaiah 4 says, The Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies, all the dwelling places of Mount Zion, all the dwelling places of Jerusalem, a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. The next little part of that (laughs) is, is really interesting. It says, and for over all the glory, talking about the glory cloud, over that, there will be a covering. Is that what it says? Over all the glory, there will be a covering. That's what it says, right? And there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat for a place of refuge and for a shelter from storm and rain so you've got this fiery cloud over all the dwelling places but over top of that there's a covering a tabernacle on top of that alright just press pause we'll come back to the tabernacle that's on top of the glory cloud okay we'll come back to that in a minute now turn over to Isaiah 60 I want to, I'm trying to point out to you the significance of this issue of this nation of Israel and God's plan for them in the age to come. You know, if the whole idea of pray for the peace of Jerusalem is just some kind of, you know, that's just that Jewish thing, that guy's all into that Jewish thing over there at IHOP, you know, if we kind of leave it in that arena, we have no concept of where the, this Bible tells us things are going. We have no, we have no grid. God has a plan for this thing. And Israel is at the epicenter of it. And he's going to do something so dramatic in Israel in the age to come. It's shocking. It's so cool. So I just want to look through Isaiah 60. Just at a few verses. Hold your, hold your finger back in Isaiah 4 because I'm going to answer what that tabernacle is in just a minute. 
But Isaiah 60, I just want to look at a few verses that describe what's going to happen in earthly Jerusalem in the next age. What's going to be going on there? Verses 1 through 9 give us all sorts of amazing thoughts. It talks about the nations of the earth being gathered there. It talks about them bringing all their, their uh, herds and their animals and all sorts of things into, into Jerusalem. Verse 10, it says that the sons of foreigners shall build up your walls and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. The Bible tells us that the foreign nations are going to come alongside of Israel in the next age and they are going to rebuild Israel, even rebuild the walls of Israel. Foreign nations are going to get on board and join Israel's team. Now that is completely opposite of the way things are right now. I mean, basically every nation would love to just get rid of Israel. We've got the United States that's on board, and so that, that helps you know, swing a little influence. But if the United States pulled their influence out of there, they pulled their money and their support out of there, do you think everybody would be, would be on Israel's side with the, the coalition of oil-producing countries all basically against Israel? Do you think the nations of the earth would be like, yay, we're for them? No, they'd be against Israel. But because the United States has stayed on their side, it's created this interesting tension. The Lord knows how to do things. Well, in that day, it says that kings will minister to Israel. Kings of nations are going to minister and serve Israel. This is important to the Lord. Jesus will be there ruling. He will be the king in Israel and the nations of the earth all the thrones that, he was, that he's going to overthrow all those thrones will have kings that are then going to come and serve Israel they're going to give themselves in ministry to Israel they're going to bless Israel now look at verse 11 therefore your gates will be continually open they shall not be shut day or night that men may bring to you the wealth of the Gentiles and their kings in procession. The kings of the earth are going to show up in Jerusalem and bring the wealth of their nations and give it to Jerusalem. This is what's coming. We don't understand this, but the Holocaust that Adolf Hitler uh, was able to fuel from 39 to 45 that from 1939 to 1945 that holocaust was fueled in, in, in a major part by scriptures from the bible Hitler would pull the scriptures out and he'd say see they want to take over the earth these Jews are bent on taking over the earth they think all the kings are going to go bowing down to them and they would, he would use you know Isaiah 2 and Isaiah 4, and Isaiah 60, and he would say, see, they think everybody's going to bow down to them. Let's stop this. It's even in the, these writings. They've interpreted this all wrong. They would twist the scripture. So anti-Semitism was fueled by, in part, a little bit of an understanding that Jesus said that the nations will bow down to Jerusalem, and the kings of the earth will uh, serve them. 
interesting. It's a little thing that I think is really cool. It says that the gates will not be shut day or night. Now, just right there in your notes, Revelation 21, 25. And in your notes, write this. Isaiah 60 is earthly Jerusalem. Revelation 21 is heavenly Jerusalem. Revelation 21, what you have is you have one of the angels that, pulls, that pours out the last seven bowls of wrath. And, and this angel takes John to a great and high mountain. And this angel shows John the new Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is a real place. It has real measurements. It's 1,500 miles high, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles across. 1,500 miles, the city of diamond. The light of the place is like a jasper diamond. The angel measures it and says, this is how big it is. Why would God give us the measurements? Because he wants us to know how big it is. 1,500 by 1,500 by 1,500. That goes into the heavens, if you want to know how high that is. I mean, that goes into outer space. This massive city. That's the New Jerusalem. And he gives us the description of it. It says it's got 12 foundation stones. It's got 12, uh, 12 gates, three on each side. And each gate has got an angel standing by it. And each gate is made of one complete giant pearl. And the names of the apostles of the Lamb are written on the city. And the names of the the elders of the tribes of Israel are written on the city. And he explains this thing is, this, this city is absolutely beautiful. It's glorious. And, and the angel describes the city as the bride. It's where the bride ends up living. A city with no people in it is not a city, but a city that has people in it is a city. And so the angel can call it the bride because the bride lives in the city. And so this city in Revelation 21, its gates aren't shut at all either. So the earthly Jerusalem has gates that never shut, and the heavenly Jerusalem has gates that never shut. Something to make you say, hmm. Well, it says that the kings of the earth bring wealth to the earthly Jerusalem, they, they bring in procession the wealth of the Gentiles. Well, you know, it's interesting, in Revelation 21, 24, it says that the kings of the earth bring the wealth of the nations into the heavenly Jerusalem as well. So the kings of the earth bring wealth of the nations into the earthly Jerusalem, and somehow the kings of the earth bring wealth into the heavenly Jerusalem. There's like a mirror reality going. Makes you say, hmm. And it says they bring their glory and their honor into it. All right, so back in Isaiah 60, verse 12. Look at that verse. That's just unbelievable. For the nation and the kingdom which will not serve you shall perish, and those nations shall be utterly ruined. The nation and the kingdom which will not serve Israel shall perish. Imagine where this thing is going. Jesus will be exalted. He'll rule the nations 
from Israel. Well, of course, the nation that won't serve Israel will perish. With Jesus ruling, that makes total sense. When, when the Bible calls Jesus the God of the whole earth, you get a whole other picture of that when you think about the age to come. He's the king of the nations and the God of the whole earth. He's the God of every nation. They will all bow down and they will serve Jesus. They will serve Israel. Verse 13, he says, The glory of Lebanon will come to you, the cypress, the pine, the box tree. Why does he need all this wood? To beautify the place of my sanctuary. He's going to build a temple there. He's going to build a house of prayer. That's what he's going to build. And they're going to bring all this wood in so he can build a night and day house of prayer. Isaiah 16, 15 describes it. It says there's going to be a throne that will be established in the tabernacle of David. In mercy, this throne will be established with righteousness and justice. Isaiah 16, 15 tells us that a night and day house of prayer is going to be where Jesus rules from on the earth. And I love what he says there. He goes, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. Isaiah 66, 1 says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my... Huh! He called Jerusalem on the earth the place of his feet, his footstool. He's going to make it glorious. That is so cool. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Hmm. I'm enjoying this. Look at verse 14. Also the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bowing to you. And all those who despise you shall fall prostrate at the soles of your feet. And they shall call you what? The city of the Lord. Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Look at verse 18. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land. Neither, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. But you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. There'll be no more violence, no more war. It'll all be banished from the earth. Look at verse 19. The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you, but the Lord will be to you an everlasting light and your God, your glory. Your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. He says it twice. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. I think that's amazing. What's it saying? It's saying this, that in the earthly Jerusalem, in the millennium, that the light that lights up the city is God. God. There's a massive cloud over the city that's fire and cloud, but there's light coming out of it, and the light that comes out of that is the light of the Lord. And that is their light. That is so amazing. I can't wait for the day that Jesus is the light of the world. <laughs> you didn't realize he was foreshadowing the age to come in the Sermon on the Mount. He goes, a city set on a hill? He's talking about Mount Zion. 
You can't put a light under a basket. He's talking about Zion. And the Lord himself will be the light. And the Lord says it twice. When you see something in the scripture twice, know for sure he's, not, he, he's making a point. The Lord himself shall be an everlasting light. Beloved, do we have any concept of where this is going? Well, what's interesting about that is this. If it's not interesting enough. Revelation 21, it says in verse 23 that the city, talking about the heavenly Jerusalem, had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of the Lord illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. When the Bible says that the glory of the Lord shines from the face of Jesus, that's real. There's real light coming off Jesus' face. And Jesus' face right now is lighting up the entire New Jerusalem. And beloved, there's a day coming when that light that's coming off of Jesus' face isn't going to just light up the new Jerusalem. It's going to light up the earthly Jerusalem. The light that they will experience will be the light of the Lord. Unbelievable. You know what that light is shining? It's shining the knowledge of God. That's what 2 Corinthians tells us that the light that's coming off of Jesus' face is radiating the knowledge of the glory of God. I'm going to tell you what. I bet Jerusalem is really cool. I've never been there in this age. And there's many that have, and I know they have awesome experiences. And that's awesome. I I probably want to go there before I die in this age. But I really want to go there when the light that's in the air is emanating the glory of the Lord and the knowledge of God. That's what's in the air. And we talk about getting a suntan in that place. I mean, he's just soaking up with the knowledge of God. What's cool to me is this. The earthly place and the heavenly place don't need a sun because light is coming off of the face of Jesus and lighting them both. Now, what do we got? In the heavenly, we got the gates open. In the heavenly, we got the uh, no need for light. And in the earthly, we've got the gates open and no need for light. We've got several features going on in the heavenly that are going on in the earthly. What's interesting about the heavenly, if you read Revelation 21, you'll find this out, that there is no temple in the city for the Lamb and the Father are the temple. In fact, the whole city is a temple and you just come in and there's God. I like it. If you can deal with it, that whole city itself, it's a, it's a, it's a tabernacle. Yeah, a tabernacle. Look at verse 21. Oh, 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 right in there if you're taking notes, Isaiah 2, 5. Because I didn't say it last week, but that's when he, Isaiah says, after the law will go forth from Zion, and then he goes, oh, house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. <laughs> He's talking about the glory of the Lord that's going to shine on the earth. So Isaiah 60 now, 21, says, All your people shall all be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. They'll be the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. And that's what I was talking about before, about them being a holy nation, a royal priesthood, 
peculiar people for God's own possession. It's going to happen for that nation that he never revoked his promises from. Even though they turned. They turned and said, no, no, we don't want it. God said, you know what? I want you. And he never relented. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. If you read that verse in Romans, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. It's about Israel. So, let's flip on back to Isaiah 4. And I want to figure out what he's talking about in verse 5, that B part there. And I know I've been sort of playing with this because it seems so extraterrestrial. If it wasn't the Bible, I wouldn't believe it myself. But it is the Bible. Isn't it weird I'm reading the Bible to us and we have almost no picture of what any of this is? Isn't that a little bit troublesome? I mean, these are the verses. These are the verses. I'm just really reading. I'm barely even commenting. So Isaiah 4, let's read that really cool verse again. It says, when the Lord has washed away, verse 4, the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning, then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory, over that glory, there will be a covering and there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat for a place of refuge and for a shelter from storm and rain. So he says, over the glory, there will be a tabernacle. That is so interesting. Because you've got this mirror reality of what's going on in the heavenly Jerusalem. It's happening in the earthly Jerusalem. You got the gates open up there and the gates are open down here. You don't need the sun up there and you don't need the sun down here. But over this massive cloud that God's going to set up over Jerusalem, there's going to be a covering, a tabernacle. What is that tabernacle? It's the heavenly Jerusalem. It's going to come out of heaven and appear over the earth. It's going to cover that cloud that's over the earthly Jerusalem and heaven is my throne the earth is my footstool that reality will be had in the next age in Jerusalem it's a shocker but it's true look at this last verse Revelation 21 verse 10 I told you I'd make you study tonight Verse 10, the angel carries John away in the spirit, Revelation 21, to a great and high mountain, and he shows me the great city, showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem. What's it doing? Descending out of heaven from God. I'm telling you, this heavenly city that right now is veiled to our eyes because it's, it's in the heavens, that heavenly city is going to descend out of the heavens and it is going to appear above this glory cloud over Jerusalem. It will be the tabernacle that's giving covering 
to the glory cloud over Jerusalem in the age to come. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Will be a real reality that's going to happen in Jerusalem in the next age. The Father will be on the throne in heaven. The Son will be on the throne in the earth. And there will be mirror realities taking place in both places even under this, that the kings of the earth will bring their glory into the earthly Jerusalem and it will have an effect in the heavenly Jerusalem in some unique way. Beloved, the issue of Israel, the issue of Jerusalem is no side issue for the Lord. He has got massive plans in regard to what he is going to set up in the next age. If you read Psalm 48 and Psalm 50, you'll find out that when the kings of the earth pass by the mountain of the Lord in Zion in the next age, they run in terror when they see it. I mean, they hear about it. They want to bring their glory into it. They actually get there and see this fiery cloud with this 1,500 square mile diamond city above it, and it terrifies them. This is what's coming, beloved. Now you go, man, that just seems outer limits, out of sight. I mean, give me something normal. I'm sorry, this is the kingdom that you chose to be a part of. You chose to be a part of a kingdom where the king is the martyr. And that martyr king said, come and receive my kingdom. And by the way, I've chosen a plot of ground. It's called Israel. And I've chosen a people, and they're called Israel. And I will rule from that place. And when I rule, do you think Jesus builds a little castle? When God rules the planet, you think he's going to like get out the cinder blocks? And build a castle kind of a thing? No, heaven and earth are going to touch. The glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh shall see it. And the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. This is where this is going, beloved. And the Bible says this, that Abraham, in Hebrews 11, that he was able to sojourn in the wilderness for years and years and years. And the reason why is because he saw the city whose builder and maker was God. He saw it. He had a picture of it. He knew where this thing was going. God hadn't even made a nation out of him yet, but God had given him the agenda and the action plan. David saw it. That's what David was prophesying in Psalm 2. Isaiah saw it. And that's what Isaiah gives us in chapter 2, 3, 4, 60, and all the way through the end of the book. All the prophets, they saw this reality. Ezekiel saw the man on the throne coming on the, the fiery cloud. He saw it. It was moving with wheels that had wheels within wheels. What was that? That's his chariot. Beloved, we have almost no concept of this kingdom, the power of it. We have almost no concept of where this thing is going or even what's available to us right now. But I tell you what, God is, he is gonna swirl us up with some revelation at the end of the age. He's gonna get us very, very in tune with where this is going so that we can live lives that make sense in regard to what's coming in the next age. Almost all of our human doings right now as it relates in a religious sense, they almost make no sense to where this thing is actually going. 
But he has an agenda. He has a plan. And he is zealous. Oh, Zechariah 8, Zechariah 1 both say he is zealous over this issue. He's zealous for Zion with great zeal. He's not sort of interested in it. He's burning with zeal over this issue. He's going to set his king on his holy hill in Zion. And the law is going to go forth from that place. Good. Let's just stand. I'm just happy that I actually got through that tonight. Way to go. So for real, get the CD from last week. Get the CD from this week. Get your Bible. Read the verses. And see if it says what, it said, what I said it says. For real. I mean, I just, I just challenge you to really do that. Yes, Jesus, we love you. God, I'm asking that you would confirm the truth of your kingdom, the truth of your reign, the truth of your choice of Zion. Confirm to us your agenda. As it relates to the end of the age. Confirm to us your plan. I pray that even tonight you release tokens of power. Tokens of power from the kingdom. Tokens of power of the age to come. In the day when you rule from Jerusalem. When you reign. When you set up that cloud over all the assemblies of Zion that fiery glory cloud and you put the tabernacle over top of that a covering that'll even block out the sun God give us a vision like you gave Abraham we'd have a vision of the the city whose builder and maker is God the city that has foundations John saw those foundations 12 foundation stones God, that we would have hearts that are tuned to the revelation of the age to come. We'd have hearts that are tuned. We would see where this is going. You've chosen Zion. You'll rule from Jerusalem. God, I'm asking revelation. Let it come. Let it come. Let tokens of power be released. The king. Let our eyes would see the king in his beauty. The branch of the Lord, he'd be beautiful, be glorious. Oh, release revelation, we ask God.